Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service, reviews, and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God bless. Why is it when we think about the best sex ever that our mind immediately races to seductive, betrayal, lying, cheating, having an affair? Why is it when we think of the best sex ever that we think that it has to play out like that? I would venture to say that the vast majority of us who just watched that video just now were thinking to ourselves that these two people were having an affair and hopefully... We were relieved when we found out that they were actually husband and wife. But why is it that when we think about the best sex we'll ever have, our mind drifts to this, this area of betrayal, this, this area of having an affair, this, this area of, of being something illicit and secretive and seductive and off somewhere? Well, see, I think it's because there's a preconditioning going on in our culture today, isn't there? There's a, there's a preconditioning that, that, is, that the culture is bombarding us with that's a one-sided message and perspective about sex and relationships. Over the past several weeks, I've had the opportunity to be asked the question several times by media people, by different people, why talk about sex in church? Why, why go there? Why, why do this? My response to that very simply is this, why wouldn't we? See, at Next Level Church, we are absolutely committed to to the belief that the Bible is a book with answers for our everyday lives in every area of our lives, including sex. So why would the church talk about sex? Well, first of all, because everybody's talking about it. I mean, Hollywood's talking about it, right? Our culture's talking about it. Our coworkers are talking about it. Single people are talking about it. Married people are talking about it. Our kids are talking about it. But unfortunately, the message that our culture is presenting to us about this issue, about this topic of sex, is a one-sided one. It's an incomplete one at best, and it's an agenda-filled one at worst. So why talk about sex? Why address this topic in church? Why go there? Well, first of all, because everyone's talking about it. But secondly... Because God created sex. That What we're going to find out in this series is that God created this amazing thing. But see, unfortunately, through the years, uh, I think the church has gotten painted as presenting this very dark, um, cold, boring, defeating message about sex. But here's the thing. As we study Scripture, which is what we're going to do over the next six weeks in this series, what we begin to realize is that sex is this amazing, beautiful wonderful, God-designed thing that He created for us as human beings. And in fact, what we're going to find out in in a couple of weeks is that the Bible actually says that the angels kind of look on this whole deal, this whole sexual thing with with human beings, and they're like, whoa, what is that? See, our culture's not giving us the right perspective. And unfortunately, because of that, because of the overwhelming message of the culture that they're sending about sex, millions of people are waking up day after day after day wondering, is this it? Is this all there is in a relationship? Is, is, is my sex and relational life supposed to leave me feeling guilty? 
Is, is my sex life, my relationship life supposed to leave me feeling hurt and cold and lonely and desperate? Is my sex and relationship life supposed to leave me feeling confused and unfulfilled? Millions of people are waking up day after day after day listening to the one-sided, agenda-filled perspective of our culture and they're saying things like, surely there's got to be something more. Surely there's a different approach to sex and relationships that actually makes sense and brings life and doesn't leave me feeling like this. So why talk about sex in church? Because one of the major reasons we're doing this series is because of the heartache and disappointment and destruction that we see running rampant in our society today from the result of mismanaged sexual behavior. But here's my question for us. What if it didn't have to look like this? What if, what if our sex lives could be amazing and guilt-free? What if our dating and single relationships could be amazing? What if we could be free from the addiction of pornography? What if, what if we were able to look around our lives and rather than see a trail of busted up, broken, and, and, and heartache-filled relationships, we saw God-honoring, amazing, pleasurable relationships across our lives? What if our sex lives and our relationships lives didn't have to be crappy? What if the God of the universe, the God who created this world, the God who created you and I, what if, what if that God who, who loves us that we sang about a few minutes ago, what, what if he has something different to say about this subject of our sex lives than the culture is presenting? See, here's what I think. I think it's possible that God offers us another option in our relationships. I think it's possible that our relationships don't have to look like how the world says they are to look. I think it's possible for us to move from crappy to great in our sexual and relational lives. And that's what this series is all about. So listen, I know we've been talking about MyCrappySexLife.com, but guess what? From here on out, we're changing all that. We're done using the word crappy. You know why? Because we're going to talk about great sex lives, baby. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, creating amazingly new great realities in our relationships on every level. That's what this series is about. We're moving from crappy to great. Yeah. Woo. Good to see you. Okay, great. So, so here's the question then for us. The, the question is, where do we start? What, what do we, where do we go with this issue? Where do, we, where do we begin as we start talking about My Great Sex Life, the series? What does this look like? Well, I think the best place for us to start is with desire, right? I mean, we all, we all have desire. I mean, right? Young or old, rich or poor, we have desire. Teenagers have Sexual desire, single people have sexual desire, divorced people have sexual desire. Moms and dads, single moms and dads trying to raise their kids, deal with this issue. Newly married couples, they have desire, right? So do married couples with kids who've been raising their kids for a while. Every, every couple who's ever been married, for even couples who've been married for decades, have sexual desire. So where do we start? We start with this, this desire thing. That's in each of us. And somewhere in the back of our minds right now, some of us who are former rockers, 
can hear you two singing, Desire. Come on, right? I'm right. Desire. Right. Okay, so, so what do we do? What do we do with this? Where do, what do we do with this sexual desire thing? Where, where do we start? We start with dealing with this sexual desire thing. And I think we've got a few options. Culture says when it comes to our sexual desire, that we need to just unleash it. That we just need to go crazy. That, that we need to get all we can while we can because we can. In fact, our children are being taught in schools today that we're just animals with an animalistic desire inside of us. So don't even try and contain it. Don't even try and control it. Just, just go crazy with it. That, that we're just animals, incapable of, of any sort of, you know, regard to that. So just, we got an animalistic thing going on, so let's do it, right? So, so our culture is saying, just unleash it. Just unleash this desire. Some of us have tried that. We've unleashed our sexual desire at random for many of us. We've ended up with some very serious consequences in our lives because of it. Some of us have figured out that that path doesn't really lead us anywhere we want to go. And at the end of the day, we've ended up with heartache, pain. We've been left feeling guilty and empty, lonely, confused. And some of us who went with what the culture says, which is just... just indulge it. Just unleash the sexual desire thing. Some of us who have went with that, we've ended up with permanent, harmful and painful effects from mismanaged sexual behavior that may never go away. So what do we do with the sexual desire thing? Well, the culture would say, just unleash it. You don't have to watch too many TV shows to see that that message of our culture is absolutely running rampant through our culture. So the culture says unleash it, but perhaps another option would be to, to ignore it, to try and ignore it. What do we do with the sexual desire? Well, some experts and some, so even religious leaders would tell us you just need to ignore your sexual desire. You need to resist it. You need to, to push it away. You, need to just, you just need to pretend it doesn't exist. Just, just push this sexual desire thing out of your mind, and, and that'll, that'll work. And some of us have tried that. But you know what we found? It doesn't work, does it? It keeps coming back. The sexual desire thing keeps coming back, right? It's like, it's like going to a used car lot and trying not to think about a car. It's that feeling of, I will not think about a car. I will not think about a car. I'm thinking about a car, right? I mean, that's, it's the same thing. It's, it's almost as if the sexual desire thing is God-given. The way it just keeps coming back. So, so our culture says unleash it. Just indulge your sexual cravings. Just go crazy. Get all you can while you can because you can. Others, experts and even religious leaders are telling us to ignore it, to just try and resist it, try and push it away, just, just try and just pretend it doesn't exist. But see, here's the thing. It keeps coming back. So if indulging it doesn't work and... Ignoring it isn't working for us. Then what do we do with this sexual desire thing that each and every one of us listening today are dealing with on a daily basis in our lives? Well, this morning I want to present to us a third option that I believe may help us. And that's this. Culture says unleash it. Others are telling us to ignore it. Number three, we order it. 
What do we do with the sexual desire? Number three, we order it. In other words, we have to give the sexual desire thing a priority ranking in the midst of all of the desires of our life. Let me see if I can explain that. In the teachings of Jesus that we read about in the Bible, uh, there's a book called Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 22, we read a couple of verses where there's this interesting exchange that takes place between Jesus and his disciples, the, the guys who were following him. It kind of, he was mentoring them. He was their, their leader. They were following him. And there's this interesting exchange in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and 37 that we read about. And the disciples are asking Jesus questions. And, of course, they've been following Jesus for some time now. And and as they're following him, he's teaching them all of these principles on how they should be living their life and the best way for them to live and to to be used by God and to be effective with their lives. And so they come to Jesus at this exchange and they look right at Jesus. And in verse 36, we read it. They say, they say to him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? I mean, Jesus, we've been following you around for some time now and, and we get it. And, we, you know, we're understanding so much of what you're trying to teach us. But of all of these things that you're teaching us, what's the greatest one? What is it that you desire for us to do most? What, if, if you could just narrow the whole thing down To one, Jesus, what's that greatest desire thing that you want us to experience? Be about. And in verse 37, look at Jesus' reply. It says this Jesus replied to them, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus says, listen, if you want to talk about desires in your life, then then Jesus begins to paint this picture of there being a priority order. And he says, the most important, the, the highest priority order that I want for your life is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He says, that should be in your heart. It's interesting because if you go back several chapters in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus talks about this priority ordering thing again. And look at what he says in this verse. Matthew 6, 33 says it this way. But seek first the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, listen, I understand that in your life you're going to have a bunch of things that you can seek. I understand that in life as you live it out, that there's going to be a lot of things that you can desire, that you can chase after, that you can run after, that you can prioritize in your life. But I'm saying to you to seek first. Prioritize at the top of your life, Jesus says. Me. Seek first the kingdom of God, God's way of doing life, and His righteousness, or that, that right way of living life, to be in right standing with God. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then He says this, and all of these other things, all of these other orders, all of these other desires in your life, will be added unto you as well. They'll be given to you as well. So, in other words, what Jesus is saying to us is this. When we prioritize His desires for us and His way of doing life over the other desires of our lives, we'll be able to order all of the other priorities as well. So watch this. Answering the big question again. What, What do we do with this sexual desire? Well, the culture tells us to unleash it, which isn't working for most of us. Others will tell us to ignore it. But is it possible that Jesus is telling us that there's a priority ordering of this sexual desire thing in our lives that we need to grab a hold of, that we need to grab a, to, to internalize? So I guess the question for us this morning is, what's the highest priority of our lives? What's the highest priority of our lives? For some people, it's, it's to earn money. And they are absolutely consumed with this desire to, to gain wealth and to, to do whatever it takes to, to be rich. Others, it's to climb the, the corporate ladder. That, that they are consumed with the career and, and work and trying to, to make it to the top of the, of the pyramid, to, to make it to the top of this thing. For others, it's to be famous. If you're watching American Idol, 
What's the highest priority of those guys right now? To be famous. They want to be the American Idol. Which, by the way, Chris Sly, the guy with the big, long, curly hair, he's a worship leader at Seacoast Church, which is a sister church of Next Level in South Carolina. He's one of their worship leaders. That's what I'm talking about. So, when you vote this week... We don't put a lot of pressure on people here at Next Level, but listen, we need you. Anyway, sorry, where was I? What was I? Oh, they want to be famous, right? American Idol. That they, they just, they, they, that's the highest priority for them right now. They, they want to make a name for themselves, or, or for some people, it's sex. What's the highest priority of their life? Is to have, have as much sex as they can, to go crazy, to, to unleash this thing, to indulge it like the culture says, to get as much as they can. As often as they can, while they can, because they can. That's the highest desire. But for some of us, the greatest desire of our life, the highest priority of our life, is to please God. And see, Jesus says that whatever that top priority is, begins to lay a foundation for all of the other priority rankings of our life. So check this out. A couple of truths about desire. The first truth is this. Whatever the top priority of our life is determines the order that all of the other desires of our lives get listed in. Whatever the top priority of our life is, it sets a foundation for all of the other things, that, those priorities, those desires that we have in our lives. In our kids' ministry here at Next Level, um, we actually we do this thing called Bible Bucks. And all of the kids who come, if you've been around Next Level for a while, you know that uh, and you have kids, your kids are probably talking about it. You get like one Bible buck for coming. You get another Bible buck for bringing your Bible. You get um, another, you know, Bible buck for doing something else. I don't know, our memory verse or something. And then you get five, like if you bring a friend. So we, we instituted this several months ago. And my six-year-old came home and he was telling us all about Bible bucks. You know, once a month they open the store and you can buy stuff with your Bible bucks, you know, and all that. So I asked him, I said, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you want to get with your Bible bucks? And he said, well, they, Dad, they have a Sony PSP, a PlayStation Portable gaming unit deal. And I'm like, wow, we do? <laughs> well, this is a great church. <laughs> we should go there more often, honey. And I'm like, well, how much does that cost? How much does that cost? <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, my son said, well, it's 150 Bible bucks. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, so you want to you go for the PSP? Oh, yeah. I'm like, buddy, that's going to take you like a year. I mean, you get, I mean like, unless we have like a sleepover with all of your kindergarten buddies and take them all to church, which is not going to happen on a Saturday night. <laughs> that's going to take you forever. And my six-year-old's like, yeah, I know. So you guys, for the last several months, it's probably been, I forget what we instituted, five or six months now. My son is saving his Bible box. And every, every month, the first Sunday of the month, I think, they open the Bible box store. And he could buy like the little gummy crosses or he could buy, you know, the other little things. And all of these little bitty temptations are kind of like creeping in on my son. And you know what? He has been so diligent. He is saving his Bible box. Why? Because that's the highest priority for him. And all of the little temptation things, the, all the little desires, the gummy cross things, pale in comparison to the PSP. Isn't that interesting? 
See, whatever the top priority ranking of our lives is affects the order that all of the other things happen in our lives as well. Here's a second truth about this desire thing, and it's this. Any lesser desire that tries to get out of order in our life is called temptation. Any lesser desire that tries to get out of order in our life is called temptation. James chapter 1 actually is an interesting set of verses because we read about this idea of temptation, and I think it has everything to do with what we're talking about today in this series. And in James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So basically, some of us, maybe we feel that way. You know, we've sensed temptation in our lives, and maybe with this sexual desire issue, we'll sense temptation on a regular basis, and we're like, you know, we might be um, tempted to kind of, you know, yell at God and be like, why is this happening to me? Well, it's God-given. And so, but look at what James says. He says that, listen, this temptation thing that's going on in your life, don't worry about it, because don't blame God. Don't blame God. Because it's not God's fault. God doesn't tempt anybody, but look at what he says. He goes on to say, because then we would ask the question, well, if God's not tempting us, then who is? Look at what it says. But each of you is tempted when you're dragged away, look at what it says, by your own evil, what's the word? Desires and enticed. Isn't that interesting that, that he says these desires inside of us, this, this thing, these temptations that we feel, it's... It comes from within. So, so what is temptation? temptation? Temptation, very simply, is this. A lesser desire that's trying to get out of order in our lives. What is temptation in our lives? Temptation in our lives is simply a lesser desire trying to get out of order in our lives. Each and every day, you and I have little desires that are constantly attempting to pull us away from the big desires in our hearts, don't we? For instance, if you and I were going to take a road trip up to Tampa Bay, we jump on the interstate and there's a temptation in all of us to do like 110, right? We're like, man, I can cut off like 17 minutes. Not that I've calculated it, but I can cut off like 17 minutes of my trip to Tampa if I do like 110. But we also know in our hearts that we have a greater desire to A, stay alive, and B, not go to jail, right? So what happens? We do exactly 70 miles an hour. Don't we, right? But there's this temptation in our heart. We're like, I bet you I can get this thing up to 120. Right? We got this temptation thing. But it's a lesser temptation, a lesser desire that's creeping in on the greater desire, which in this case is staying alive and not going to jail. Both very good greater desires, by the way. And so what do we do? We resist the temptation because of the priority of the greater desire. It's true in our money. That if your plan and your budget is to put several hundred dollars away per month for retirement, that's a great desire. And that's an important desire to, to save and to plan and to put that away. But if we're tempted to take the money that we should be saving for retirement and go, guys, go play golf or ladies, go to the mall and go shopping. What are we doing? We're simply that, that temptation is simply a lesser desire. Trying to creep in on the greater desire. It's true relationally. If you're a single person, there's, there's a good chance that in the back of your head somewhere you have, you have a list of characteristics that you dream of that perfect guy or that perfect woman could be in, there in your life. But you're out and you meet somebody and he's not, I mean, he's not all of those things and his, I mean, he doesn't really, you know, like 
he's not into God like I am, or he, he doesn't really want a family, and I kind of do. And what, He doesn't really fit your characteristics list, really, too much. But he's hot. Or she is fine like pure sugar. What is that? That's simply a lesser desire tempting us, trying to get out of order from the greater desires in our life. So see, every single one of us deal with this issue of temptation every single, a, every single day in multiple ways and in multiple areas of our life. It's true sexually as well. That each one of us have, have a greater desire. And when these smaller sexual temptations come along, what are they doing? They're simply trying to get out of order in our lives. We're constantly being tempted by our culture to put a smaller desire ahead of a bigger desire in our life. And it's interesting because this James verse, if you go back to it, verse 15, the last verse of it, actually tells us the end result. Check this out. It says that when we get into these lesser desires instead of the greater desire, look at what the end result will be. Verse 15, that after desire is conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Watch this. Quite literally. When we give in to lesser desires over the greater desires of our lives, death in some form begins to emerge in our lives, doesn't it? Some of us have experienced this firsthand. Some of us have put the pedal to the floor on I-75. And we've ended up with a ticket. We've ended up with a suspended license. We've ended up wrecking a car. Maybe injuring ourselves or someone we love or maybe even someone we don't even know. What is that? That's, that's some form of death that's emerged in our life because we've given precedent to the lesser, des- the lesser desire over the greater. Some of us know what it is to, to have sacrificed financially the big goal of, of retirement or whatever it might be that you were saving for, and, and you went and you shopped it away or you golfed it away or, or you, you spent it away, and now you realize that there's, there's a, a little piece of death that's emerged. Relationally, some of us have gave in to the lesser desire instead of the greater desire that we had in our heart. And now, one marriage, two marriages, three marriages later, not only ourselves, but perhaps there's children involved and families involved, and we realize that this death thing that the Bible actually talks about has emerged. And some of us sexually have given in to these lesser desires over the greater desire. And we're paying the consequences. In some area of our life, in some way, death has emerged. So what what do we do? What do we do with this sexual desire thing? Because, bro, you're kind of like not answering the question because I got temptation, man! Right? We're feeling that, right? What do, we, what do we do? See, here's the thing about this temptation deal. Temptation can be so persistent. It, it can be so tricky in our lives. You know why? And the Bible actually talks about this. That temptation doesn't just hit us from outside. It's, it's bad enough that we're all standing in the middle of the car lot trying not to think about cars. But temptation actually can hit our lives from in, on an internal perspective as well. The Bible, the Bible has a phrase for this. It's called sin nature. 
that the Bible says, whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, we as human beings have inside of us this thing called a sin nature that's constantly tempting us, that's constantly persisting, that's constantly trying to get us to trip up and, and to trick us. See, our minds and our bodies are tricky, aren't they? Look at this verse in Romans chapter 7. We actually, we actually read about this. The Bible talks about it. Romans chapter 7, verse 25, look at what it says. It says, so then I myself in my mind am God's slave. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, in my head, I get it. I want to serve God. I want the whole greater desire, the lesser desire. I get all that, bro. In my mind, I'm God's slave. But look what he says. But in the sinful nature... I am like a slave to the law of sin. I am dying here. So he says, listen, this temptation thing, you got to keep your head up. you got to be ready for this. Why? Because temptation of the lesser desire over the greater desire always, always, always persists. It's always persistent. So what do we do? What do we do with this desire thing that we're feeling? What do we do with the sexual desire that's in our heart? Do we indulge it? Do we ignore it? I don't think so. I think what we do is we learn to order the sexual desire in our lives, which leads us back to the big question we've been asking. What is the biggest desire of our lives? If it's true that the top priority, the biggest desire of our lives, sets us up, and helps us to put into priority all of the other desires of our lives, then we must, we must drill down into our hearts and answer this question. What is the biggest desire of our lives? Do we know? Do you know what the biggest desire of your life is? Or are we just living in the moment? Are we just, are we just living in the moment, living day to day, living from desire to desire, from quest to quest, trying to hopefully get to a place where one day it's like, oh yeah, great, it all just worked itself out. I don't think it's going to happen that way. I don't think that we can run from bar to bar, to scene to scene, to person to person, to, to partner to partner, and just end up with, the, oh great, look, how, how about that? I got the highest priority in the right thing. Wow, great. I don't think it can happen that way. I think we've got to drill down. I think we owe it to ourselves as human beings to drill down and ask ourselves this question. What is the biggest desire of my life? My wife and I became boyfriend and girlfriend as teenagers. She was 14 years old, and I was 16. And she was fine. We, easy. We dated for five and a half years before we got married. And we were both virgins on our wedding night. My wife is the only person that I have ever known. And I am the only person she has ever known. Did we have desire as teenagers dating? Um, the Bible answer for that is heck yes. Were we tempted? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Was was there all of that? Yes. Believe me. Was there desire? There was. But watch this. Why did we wait? Why did we make it to our wedding night? Why is that a part of our story? Because there was a greater desire at play in both of us that we had purposed in our heart that far back as teenagers. 
that we wanted the greatest desire of our lives to be pleasing Jesus Christ, making Him the greatest priority of our life. And so we quickly began to understand that any lesser desire was simply temptation trying to creep up the ladder and usurp that greater desire that we both had in our hearts. And see, every single day, you and I face little desires that are trying to creep up the ladder of our lives. The title of this message this morning is The Best Sex We'll Ever Have. So what is the best sex you'll ever have? Here's what I think. I think the best sex that you'll ever have is sex in the right order of priorities in our lives. So watch this. If the highest order of priority in your life is to get all you can, while you can, because you can, then the best sex you'll ever have simply requires a first name, a few drinks, maybe a hotel key, or the click of a mouse. But, if our highest priority in our lives is based on something higher and bigger and greater than ourselves, then the best sex we'll ever have will look completely different. And that's what this series is all about. we have to first answer the question. What is the highest priority of my life? And so this morning as we close our time together, I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus the highest priority of your life? Is Jesus the highest priority of your life? Or is it something else? Maybe, maybe it's, it's been a career. Maybe it's, it's been uh, money and, and making as much money as we can. Maybe, maybe it's been trying to find the perfect relationship. Maybe it's been sex. Because see, whatever the highest priority of our life is, that sets in place the priority order for the rest of our lives. So my question to us this morning is, is Jesus the highest priority of our lives. I want to give you an opportunity today to make Jesus the highest priority of your life because maybe you've come into this place today and maybe this, this, this series on sex caught your attention and so you came to just kind of check it out. You came to just kind of go, I just want to hear what this guy's got to say. But somewhere in the mix of everything that's happened over the last few minutes, you're starting to feel a little something in your heart. And you're sitting there right now and you're, you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't know that I can say that God is the highest priority of my life, that, that pleasing Jesus and, and ordering my life and doing life the way He says He wants me to do it. I, I don't know that I can say that that's, that's it. But maybe you're listening right now and you're thinking to yourself, and there's some, some little there's some little piece inside of you right now that's going, but I want it. I, I want it to be as he said. I, I, I recognize that having sex is the highest priority of order in my life, or, or having my job or my career or, or money or, or fame as the highest priority. That that hasn't been working for me. 
want to give you an opportunity to respond today. Here's the great thing about making Jesus the highest priority of our life is that it doesn't require us to join a church. It doesn't require us to take a bunch of classes. The only thing Jesus requires is that we simply take a step in His direction. So if you're here today and and you want to do that, we simply have to do this. Number one, we have to admit that that which has been the highest priority, and maybe it's just been ourself, just living for self, that that which which has been the highest priority of my life, I I, want to take that down off of that seat. We have to admit that that way hasn't been working. And simply bring our heart to God and say, God, I want you to fill that seat in my life from now on. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So all across this room, everyone listening today, can we just bow our heads for a moment? And in the stillness of this moment, I want to give you a chance to simply tell God that that's your desire. So all over this room, let's pray right out loud. And there's nothing super mystical about the word prayer. It simply just means us talking to God. And so this morning, I'm going to ask everyone who's listening today to pray this prayer with me. And I'll kind of lead us. I'll kind of prompt us with some words. And then I want you to internalize them and and make them into your words today. If that's your desire, to have Jesus be the number one desire of your life that would set the pace, that would set the order for all of the other desires of your life, I want to give you a chance to do that. So let's pray this together. Come on, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thanks for bringing me here. Today I have seen something other than you has had top position in my life. And I'm sorry for that. I ask you right now to come and be top position. To take that seat of number one priority in my life. And I pray from this day forward that you would help me to live how you want me to live and to order all of the other priorities and all of the other desires around you. Come into my life today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.